Relatively Geeky presents Doom Speak. In this hypothetical, imaginary episode, we'll be looking at the 52nd issue of the second volume of What If? from Marvel Comics cover dated August 1993, an issue which asks the dramatic question. What if Doom became Sorcerer Supreme? For those of you listening to this more or less in real time during or near August 2022, I want to talk just a bit about the podcast schedule for the entire network. August, as it contains the birthday of the king, has been decreed by the Council of Internet Weirdos to be hashtag Jack Kirby Month. But, over the past few Augusts, I've used up all the Kirby quarter books that I had. We cover the Eternals, Captain Victory. So this month was sitting out there, a month that would have no quarter bins, because I want to keep the quarter bin on theme and I had no books from the quarter bin database that fit the theme. And me and M, our schedule was such that we would not be beginning the previously announced countdown to final short box for a little while. So I had a hole in the schedule. And I figured, why not two Doomspeak episodes back-to-back for August? Since he was co-created by the king, it seemed to fit. Not that we really need a reason to celebrate Doom twice in a month, but I thought I'd give you a reason anyway. Furthermore, the way that the podcasting schedule is interacting with my back-to-school prep schedule, I have not released the prior episode with Andy Leyland by the time I'm putting this one together, which means I don't have any feedback to go over right now. But for next time, we will have two episodes worth of feedback. So for now, we're just going to get our watcher on. We're going to get our Uwatu going and get to this what-if issue. What if 52 at a cover price of $1.25? But at least two lovely listeners have sent me copies of this over the years, including, I'm pretty sure, Dr. Ange. So thank you, Sir Doctor, and anyone else who may have provided a copy of this issue to me over the years. The cover of What If 52 by Manny Galan shows Doom clad in Dr. Strange's cloak, gesturing triumphantly, victoriously, towards the sky. And around him lie, and I'll, I'll try to mask my excitement, but around him lie the prone bodies, probably dead, actually, of a quartet of blue-clad losers. Oh, what if? What if you are a glorious, glorious title? 
the story. What if Dr. Doom Became Sorcerer Supreme was written by Dan Slott, whose work I am familiar with, with art by Manny Galan and Mark Stegbauer, neither of whose work I am familiar with. The credits don't say so, but I think it's fair to add Dr. Doom, created by Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. We start in a secluded temple hidden high in the mountains of the Himalayas. A man bursts in on the Ancient One, saying he has traveled distances undreamt of to learn his secrets. But the Ancient One is less than enthused by this request. You think I would entrust my arcane secrets to one as impudent and brash as yourself? But the visitor is not pleased with those comments, pointing out reasonably and calmly that none is more deserving of this power. And then the hood of his winter jacket falls from his scarred face. Then Victor Von Doom. We then get the title page with the Watcher explaining that at his purview, he finds himself drawn to watch the events of certain remarkable individuals. Case in point, Dr. Doom, a man of science and sorcery, a gypsy and a king, a loving son and bitter enemy. His roles are many and complex, but none so much as the role he is to play in this alternate reality where I have asked, what if Dr. Doom became Sorcerer Supreme? Back in the Himalayan temple chamber, we get a page of Doom's origin pretty much right out of last episode of the podcast, when Andy and I covered FF Annual number 2. But instead of a sojourn with monks that ends with a metal face mask being burned onto his face, Instead of that path, some inner voice led Victor here. Because Victor is a good boy who loves his mommy very much. He admits that he's looking for a key, a tool, to free his mother's soul from the netherworld. The Ancient One sees a spark of decency in Victor, a nobility about him, but wonders about his humility. Tell me, could you bring yourself to call the Ancient One your master? After some tense negotiation, they settle on the word teacher, and Victor is welcomed as a pupil, and from the shadows Mordo promises that he shall keep a watchful eye on him, and he does not like what he sees. His feelings move from annoyance to envy to hatred and finally to fear. And they battle, well, actually Mordo battles a Doombot, which injects a nanite bomb deep within the recesses of Mordo's skull. It will detonate upon a simple command or in the event of my death. Lesson 
Don't get on Victor's bad side. The Ancient One is impressed by this confrontation, believing the Ninite bomb to be a ruse. But he has no concept of what I am capable of. Time passes until a stranger arrives at the temple. I'm Dr. Stephen Strange, a surgeon from America. And we get his classic origin story of the car accident and the nerve damage to his hands. The Ancient One asks Victor to deal with this situation, saying that if he truly helps Stephen, then he will have learned all that he can and that his training will be complete. In proving that he is an obedient and skilled pupil, he does swiftly solve Stephen's problem. My hands! He has cut off my hands! Yes, I did. And replaced them with a pair from one of my robots. Now you'll be able to perform operations with superhuman accuracy. You've been remade, Doctor, better than ever before. Because, as always, Doom's concerns are with the betterment of mankind. But the Ancient One just whines that Doom didn't see that Stephen's bigger issues were not with his hands, but with his heart and his soul, la la la. But the Ancient One decides to send Victor on his quest, giving him the cloak of levitation and the eye of Agamotto. And wearing a cool metal mask, he heads to the netherworld. This is not his first time, but before... I was ill-prepared. Now, thanks to science and sorcery, I am armored inside and out. Mephisto greets Doom and the Ancient One. And Mephisto's lies and Victor's short fuse put them at a quick disadvantage. But they battle through demons, the Ancient One struggling to keep Victor safe from harm until he is crunched on by Mephisto. In the dark dimension, Dormammu knows exactly what this means. Now the only one who stands in my way is the rank novice called Doom! Uh, by the by, the Ancient One? Not so much dead, actually, as it appears, because his spirit still lives. And with that distraction, Doom returns to our world. No, he had not freed his mother Cynthia, and the Ancient One's body has not returned, but, I mean, it could have been worse. Mordo notes that the skies are erupting, and Doom heads straight to his workshop. There is precious little time and much to do. We then move to the Baxter Building, which in this world of what-ifs is called the world-famous headquarters of the heroes known as the Fantastic Four. What a crazy, made-up, imaginary world this is. <sighs> Reed scanners have detected a gigantic dimensional rift opening over Manhattan. Sue notes that demon-like creatures are popping up everywhere. 
An energy grid surrounds the building, and Victor appears. Although, I am no longer the Victor Von Doom you once knew, but rather Earth's Sorcerer Supreme. Reed agrees to help Doom, although the big ugly rock monster brings back up that old lie about Victor blowing his face off right before midterms at university. You know, for one thing, that was before final exams. And anyway, just... Hashtag fake news. At which point Doom, and I laughed out loud at this, sends the FF on a mission to the past to find a magical artifact hidden in Blackbeard's treasure. And so we get three pages that take a spin on Doom's first appearance in FF issue five, I think it was, and which Reed and Sue find the mystical talisman and thing is installed as the great pirate leader Blackbeard. He is no longer a monster or a freak. I'm somebody here. And in this time, in this version, Ben stays behind in the past as the pirate. So the barely adequate three reappear in the present day in the Baxter building, which has been trashed, but it's worse when they look out their windows. Doom wasn't exaggerating one iota. It really is taking all of New York's heroes to hold back the demon storm. And then a Pretty cool panel. We see the Avengers, Daredevil, the X-Men, Spider-Man, all battling green demons. And high above the city, Doom himself is battling Dormammu. Reed wonders briefly if a being like Doom can be trusted with the power of the artifact. But he rightly, because this is a what-if story, he actually makes the right decision that yes, Doom can handle this. So he stretches and stretches and stretches and tosses Doom the mystical gem and then Doom engages in some really powerful poetry. By the power of this gem and the strength of my will, I do hereby condemn forever to fill all you demons and ghouls to your pits hot and mean the dread fiery pools in the land of Faltine. This sends Dormammu back to his land, but he has already dealt a deathly blow to doom. For the greater the power, the greater the price. And while a number of heroes are in the waiting room at St. Luke's Hospital, Dr. Doom's surgeon enters the waiting room to greet them. An irony of ironies, his surgeon is? I bet you didn't see this coming. Stephen Strange. I'm sorry. I've done all I can. But the damage was too extensive. Inside the surgery room, we see Strange approach Doom. Well, we've come full circle. I can never pay you back for what you did to my hands, but Stark's check will help ease the pain. 
and with Doom's dying breath, he instructs his Doombots to carry out a pre-programmed process. They kidnap, no, uh, abduct, no, wait, um, they relocate Stephen Strange back to the Ancient One's temple, where they take him to the Master's workshop. Restraints in place. Downloading Von Doom files, postnatal, up to pre-death, memories. Activating. And as he screams, no! Doom's personality and memories are downloaded into Strange's body. And in the last panel, the Watcher sums it all up for us. As Sorcerer Supreme, it can be said that Victor Von Doom had both the most short-lived and long-remembered tenure of them all. For with his endless scheming and boundless ego, he assured that this world would always have a Sorcerer Supreme. And that Sorcerer Supreme would always be Doom. This be some spread. Gambit not gonna be playing solitaire tonight. Gambit, what are you doing over here? Talking to yourself in the third person. And what's all this food? Oh, Professor, Gambit have plans tonight. Once Cher shows up, Gambit gonna wine and dine her. Then we gonna listen to Fan Holes, the pop culture podcast made for the fans by the fans. Fan Holes? I'll not have my school turned into a den of debauchery and science fiction trivia. No, Gambit. You'll just have to perform your obscene mating rituals elsewhere. Uh-oh. Sound like the professor getting a little cranky. Gambit think it's time for you to go to bed. What? What are you... Ow! Unhand me at once! Unhand me, you swamp-fed ignoramus! Ah! Relax, mona me. Gambit just gonna tuck you in real nice. Ah, X-Men, emergency help! Ah! Curse you, fan holes! And don't mess with the fan holes! Weekly content on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and fanholespodcast.blogspot.com And we're back. It's a bit of a stereotype of what-if comics. I think especially the first volume, but also it's probably the case here in the second. And what I mean is the notion that whatever the particular what-if is, whatever story is being told, it will end in tragedy. Somebody will die. Many people will die. Maybe the entire universe will die in a humongous ball of fire. But whatever. You ain't gonna have a happy ending. And I do sort of understand that, actually. You are telling an alternative story. You really don't want the what-if world to be more appealing 
and to be able to generate decades of stories in the same way that your, in Marvel's case, the 616 universe can. So I do understand the impulse of telling a what-if story that has a definitive end and which can't be built upon. The purpose is not to create an ultimate line or an an alternative version of your main storyline. It's just to tell fun, one-off stories. The one exception we can point to perhaps being Spider-Girl. And thus, those fun, one-off stories often have really tragic endings. Except for this one. Because yes, even though Cynthia's little boy loses his physical life, but as we learned from the ancient one earlier in the issue, that is just a minor inconvenience. For no, in this exceedingly happy story, Doom lives on and is the Sorcerer Supreme forever and ever. And that is what we in the Doomspeak community call a good way to end a story. Now, this might only be in the comic shops in Latveria, but there is an issue of What If 52.1? in which the Sorcerer Supreme does free Mrs. Von Doom's soul from the nether realm, and for the rest of eternity, Victor visits her every Sunday afternoon, and she makes him his favorite meals, maybe like a venison stew with a rhubarb mash, and he, of course, brings her flowers and sweets, and they laugh and talk and share, and sometimes they even watch English soccer on the telly. Little-known fact, Victor Von Doom, huge Arsenal fan. Total gooner. Read, of course, his Tottenham, explains Doom's appropriate disdain of the man. And actually, if you listen very carefully right now, you can hear Doom laughing at Manchester United. (laughs) Anyway, let's ignore the notion that hashtag big comic promotes this particular story as a quote-unquote what-if, thereby discounting its clear prophetic nature. Let's instead take this in the spirit that it was intended, which is to say, as the final demonstration of Doom's eventual victory over all of time and space with the minor distraction of him being, you know, sort of, more or less from a certain point of view, dead. Because I know that the part about him being dead, that was almost certainly editorial mandate. That's the sort of Bush League move they'd pull Stinking hashtag big comic. But other than that one minor questionable quibble, what did I think of the rest of this issue? I thought it was really fun. Now, I do have to say that conceptually, I love what-ifs, the idea, the notion. For the same reason I enjoy Elseworlds and other imaginary tales. Continuity can be such a straitjacket 
in the comic book world that finding a story that breaks away from that, especially when it uses well-known characters, that's going to be an automatic draw for me. So I'm inclined to like what-if stories. That's the peanut butter. Dr. Doom is the chocolate. You put them together, and I'm probably going to like it. In this specific case, let's start our analysis with the art by the fellows I didn't know, Galan, or Galan, and Stegbauer. And what they did was fine. It told the story. It didn't get in the way. It gave us some appropriately 90s visuals. And overall, it did the work. The one thing we have to specifically comment on is the combination of Strange's look and Doom's look. How they worked together. And how they worked was not bad. Any sort of cloak, let's be honest, is going to look pretty great on Doom. And maybe based on this issue, I'd be inclined to let him shake it up a bit. Sure, the green, it's a classic look, of course. But you know, some days in summer, maybe go for something lighter, a pastel. And in autumn, bring out your rusts, deep reds. There's room for Doom to expand his fashion palette. That's what I'm saying. That's what this issue demonstrates. It shows how that could work. So that is an important artistic contribution. Although, before our great good buddy Mark Gray writes in, I will say that yes, Doom's proposed look for the recent X-Men Gala, that is not what I'm talking about. I'll just say that that was not his best look. On the writing, I think that Dan Slott does a really good job with the script making the story hold together. Andy Leyland and I, just last episode, made the obvious connection between Doom's trip to Tibet and Batman's training. Slott here does the comparison of Doom to Strange, changing up the timeline to put the two of them at the Ancient Ones Academy and at the same time. And crossing over those characters within the story, working in Strange's origin, that is done very well. The two of them meet, and Doom, um, you know, solves Strange's problem by replacing his hands with parts from a Doombot. Stay with me. I would call that an upgrade. Look, my dad has had both of his knees replaced, and that is pretty much the exact same thing if you think about it. And then... The first irony, and this one is pretty obvious storytelling, I think, is that when Doom is mortally wounded, it is Strange who tends to him. You expect that in fiction. But it's the final irony that I think, to use a phrase, takes this to the next level. The idea that in his dying breath, possibly a breath that has been enabled by Strange's ministrations or by Doom's enhancements, to Strange, which enabled him to keep Doom alive. At that moment, Doom sets in motion the plan to implant his memories and experiences into Strange so that he can continue to be Sorcerer Supreme. And from the Watcher's comments, this seems to be 
a very long-term situation. Let me take a quick diversion here to point out that I generally don't like this sci-fi concept of the uploading and downloading of human consciousness. Not to get too darkness to light on you. I just think there's more to us as humans than that which can be reduced to zeros and ones. Looking into the future, I'm much more ready to accept colonizing Mars, weather control satellites, or alien visitations than I am to think the singularity could actually happen. But given this fictional story and this particular character, of course, Doom would find a way to continue his existence. Why? Because that's how much he loves humanity and wants to serve the world. That part is eminently reasonable, and from our perspective, that part is also a happy ending. And that is, I think, all I have to say about this pretty fun, delightful little one-off story. I certainly hope that you've enjoyed this hashtag Jack Kirby Month extra special double feature of Doomspeak. And that is not the only reason to celebrate August. For this month, also saw the release of a hardcover volume priced at a measly 500 quarters of the Doctor Doom Omnibus which is something in the area of 1,200 pages long, something appropriately bombastic like that, that makes this pretty much the month of doom. I'm not sure when we'll be getting back to doom speak. It shouldn't be too long. But again, I don't know if it'll be next month or maybe the month after. But fear not, friends of old doom. For the next time we do revisit Doomspeak, in probably the next few months, we are going to be going back to the future, returning to that book starring the Doc himself from the end of this century, which, if you ask me, is a timeline that just can't come soon enough. For next time, when we gather to study the exploits of the man, the myth, the doom... Our texts will be Doom 2099, issues 26 and 27. If you have any feedback on this episode, on the issue, on what if, or anything related to The Good Doctor, don't hesitate to contact me. You can do that via email, relativelygeeky at gmail.com, or as a comment on Facebook or the blog post for this episode, the blog is at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care. And hail doom. Hail doom! Hail doom! Hail doom! Hail doom!